0: All right. So we're in uh, Jonah chapter four. If you want to follow along with me, God's word says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. I read that in the first service and it made me pause. Like what is going on? This isn't going to be on the screens. I'm going to back up one verse back into chapter three, verse 10. What is Jonah angry about? He's angry because he's followed God's word. He's, he's called Nineveh to repentance. And guess what? They actually repented and sought after the Lord. And this is what happens in verse 10 of chapter three. When God saw what they did, Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. What's Jonah's response, right? Elation, praising God, joy. No. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? It's kind of like the phrase, like, I told you so. Do you hear it right there? I told you so. You ever have something like that happen in your household? Like, I I laid out that path. I knew this was going to happen. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Man, that's extreme, isn't it? And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Verse five, Jonah went out of the city and sat which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, this is beautiful. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray together as we seek God's guidance this morning. Father, we do again love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you uh, for your word and the truth of your word that, that cuts to the heart of the matter, Lord, as we face this issue of anger this morning. God, I pray that your word would be uplifting and edifying to us, God, that, that it would truly uh, cut deep into us and change us and transform us. Lord, I pray for spiritual conviction among your people this morning as we seek your ways, as we seek knowledge in you, Lord, and as we carry out your mission in this world. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, all of God's people said, amen. Do you ever have those movies from your childhood that were super memorable? Perhaps they were like a funny movie or or you just just remember how good they were. It was a good classic movie, but you don't remember all the the detail of the movie. And I, I wanna admit something to you. My parents, when I was growing up, they didn't necessarily have the best filter in my household on what we watched while we were growing up. So there was a lot of movies in my childhood that I remember being funny. And then I thought when I got married and I had kids, like, I couldn't wait for them to get old enough so they could watch that funny or memorable movie. Then, so you... You get all set for the night. You you put the movie on. You pop the popcorn. Everybody cuddles up on the couch. You get the blankets. You get about 10 minutes into the movie, and there's that one scene that pops up that you forgot about, right? You guys guys been there before? Your kids are watching. It's like, oh, I forgot about that part. I forgot about those words. I didn't use my best discretion in this time. I forgot about that thing. A few months ago, this kind of happened to me with Jonah chapter 4. A few months ago, as I was preparing... For our study in Jonah, I was I'm ordering resources and, and I did some read throughs uh, through Jonah, and I had forgotten about the ending. I forgot about this part of the book. Right? You remember the obvious stuff. But what do we remember from Jonah? Big storm, big fish, you know, repentance from Nineveh. I forgot all about chapter four and Jonah's response. And in a way, like when we're reading through this, I'm hoping that it struck you one as ridiculous, that he would be this, you know, angry and mad, but also there's a sense of comedy around his response, right? Who wants to die because a plant died?" Now, I know a lot of you have green thumbs in here, but I've never lost a plant in my yard when I'm like, "I just want to die because the plant's dead. They're just not that valuable. Uh, to me, and, and really, what it draws to light is kind of classic comedy. Like comedy nowadays is just kind of cheap, makes us laugh, but it doesn't really make us think. Classic comedy, especially back in this culture, comedy was, was brought forth to make you reflect about yourself. The, the comedy here of Jonah should make us look at our own hearts. We laugh because in a sense, we see some of ourselves in Jonah's response here. And, and And so, I want to show you in this question. I have this question. Usually I do a main idea, but this morning, uh, I'm giving you a question. Here's a question: why are you so angry? Why are we so angry? The Lord said in verse four, and the Lord said, "Do you do well to be angry? the The Encyclopedia of Psychology defines anger as an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong, right? And we'll acknowledge this. Like, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing. God gave us that emotion. God, we see in Scripture, He gets angry. There are times where where anger is justified. But I think we have to admit that Jonah's anger in this passage and, and really throughout much of this book, it just seems a bit off. Anybody with me? Like when you read chapter four, you're like, man, Jonah, this is a bit, this is not a good look for you, my brother. Okay. It just seems a little bit off. A a quick Google search I went through on Thursday afternoon and I just typed in the phrase in Google, why are we so angry? Why are we so angry? It yielded half a billion results of that phrase. Do you think we have an anger issue? Right Why are we so angry? I think we would all agree we have, we have an anger problem in our culture. We, we've witnessed over the past few years, anger spill out in destroyed relationships and division, over, you know, COVID policy. Anger and rage spill out into violence in the streets of our cities, over racial tension, anger that has turned violent in school and business shootings. We just had a shooting in Louisville. Anger in our beloved youth, which leads some to take uh, the unfortunate decision to take their own life as a way out. Anger and, and outrage are everywhere, aren't they? Just turn on the news. You'll have two guys with different viewpoints. What are they doing? Arguing. We see anger everywhere. And, and we can acknowledge that, that the American culture, I would say, is becoming an angry one. Wouldn't we agree with that? We're becoming an angry people. And Jonah gives us insight into like the misguided outcomes or excuses for our anger that we're going to take a look at today and how Scripture, right? We believe Scripture is the truth, gives us answers to life's perplexing issues, the things that may cause us anger. We can agree from our vantage point, right? Again, Jonah's anger here is ridiculous. Are you guys with me? Like, that's our starting point. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. He has, why is it ridiculous? Because he has experienced God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and yet becomes angry when others receive it, right? God's grace is for him, but not for them. He has experienced God's provision here uh, in this passage of a plant for shade that he did nothing to help grow, right? He didn't plant seeds. He didn't fertilize it. He didn't water it. And yet is enraged to the point of wanting to die when the plant dies. Really, we should laugh at his reaction. And we should use it to examine our own lives to see where Jonah's anger You know, pushes through reason and the eternal truth of God's character. And so we're going to look at three different points this morning. The first one is really a point of fairness. That's what Jonah is angry over. And we capture that in the phrase, that's not fair. You ever said that before? That's not fair. When I was uh, about 13 years old, I'm guessing I, I remember my family rented a cabin in the mountains for Thanksgiving. It was a small mountain city right on the lake. Uh, called Lake Arrowhead, absolutely beautiful uh, little kind of throwback mountain town. A nice vacation away in this this little mountain village that we are staying at. The cabin that my parents rented was just you know maybe a stone's throw away from the lake and a dock, and it was just gorgeous. A sure blessing to me that my parents uh, did this. Uh, they met some friends up there through our stay. They met some friends up there, and they wanted to go out to dinner with them one night. My oldest brother was married at the time, and he wanted to meet them uh, for dinner as well. My parents also had a foster child at the time; he was about a year older than me, and, and they decided that they were going to do kind of the adult dinner, like we're going out, like just the parents, and you two are staying home. And I wasn't having any of it. I, I was upset, and so and so I said. That's not fair. You guys are going to dinner, and I have to stay home, that I'm being left out. And then I proceeded to throw a fit, uh, the likes that a three-year-old would have been envious of. I I screamed and yelled, and I made quite a spectacle, so much so that I can remember it now at 41, what I did at about 13 years old. And, and, you know, there was one point in time that parents didn't just give in when, when a kid threw a fit. They held their ground. They held to their word. They left me to sulk in my anger, my that's-not-fair outrage. What's the context, though, of this outrage? All the while, sitting in a beautiful cabin in the woods, not far from a beautiful lake, awesome scenery, with... Okay, they didn't leave me on my own for food. They had gone out and bought every teenager's dream... A box of frozen pizza bagel bites. Anybody with me? (laughs) The Lord's provision, right? And yet here I am throwing a fit in the midst of this great blessing that my parents had given me, taking us away uh, from the desert dwelling that we lived in, dry and hot, up into the mountains. It was gorgeous. But I was upset. That's not fair. You guys get to go out to eat and do that without me. We kind of get that same tone here from Jonah. Uh, Jonah 3.10, again, I want to back up and emphasize the context of his outrage and anger to uh, chapter four, verse three. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, this is such a beautiful description of God from such an angry man. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I'm thankful that he's that way. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah's reaction makes no sense when we view it through the lens of the whole story, right? When we see the whole story, has Jonah been the upright character in this story that we have? No. He has himself received God's grace and yet argues from from a point of fairness when his enemies receive the same grace that he's received. When Jonah cries out over fairness, He is doing this, okay? What is he doing? He's implying that God is not just. That's the implications of his his anger and his cry against God. And yet, the the Scriptures, now we're going to see how Scripture corrects this. The Scriptures clearly teach that God is just, don't they? He does punish sin. And he has dealt with sin. We know this on this side of the cross, ultimately through his son Jesus, whom he exacted the punishment, the wrath, his own anger against sin, uh, where he placed his son on the cross on that hill we call Golgotha. And Jesus gave up his life. Why did he do this? To uphold justice. Moreover, the, the Lord is able To pour out grace and mercy on whomever he decides. This is done without partiality, the scriptures teach us. God does not weigh with unjust scales. Paul answers this exact question in Romans chapter 9. When the audience he's writing to is asking the same thing. When they're saying, that's not fair. And Paul responds... In verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? And Paul simply answers this in three words in our English translation, by no means. He would go on to to imply this, that the created thing doesn't get to say to the creator, why did you make me this way? Moreover, how silly is it for someone who has experienced God's extreme grace? Think about Jonah's life. He's experienced God's extreme grace. Jonah was as good as dead when those sailors threw him overboard into the stormy seas. Water is powerful, isn't it? Powerful. Jonah was thrown into the sea, and, and God, in, in his divine knowledge, appointed the scripture says, appointed a fish to swallow him up. God's extreme grace. Jonah ran from his calling and the Lord spared Jonah's life. God could have snapped his fingers and burned him up and and lifted up another person to go and carry out the call, but he didn't. Gave him a second chance. Yet Nineveh, in, in Jonah's opinion and rage, is not to be spared. They shouldn't receive the same grace. Let's be honest, we all have differing paths in life. We all can look at life and say, man, that really wasn't fair the way that that worked out. But are we to exclaim that God's not fair, that God's not just? Because when we raise issues of fairness, we lose sight of the truth of Scripture, which declares that God is just. The other issue that we have when we raise this objection of that's not fair is an issue that we need to take up with the cross. Because if there's everything, anything that's ever happened in history that from our human perspective we say that's not fair, it would be the death of Jesus. Why? Because we hold this truth certain that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus came and lived perfectly. He was sinless. He fully obeyed the will of God unto death on a cross. That's not fair, is it? God did that out of his love so that through faith in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, that God's justice may be upheld. Because there is punishment and penalty for sin. But through Christ, that's been carried out on the cross. Amen? So please, on behalf of everybody here, don't ask for fairness. Because it's not fair what happened to Jesus. And if you you want God to make it fair... It means an eternity of separation for us. God carried that out in his love. The second thing that angers us is loss. We see this in Jonah. You took that from me. We capture that in the phrase, you took that from me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story with you. I've shared about my relationship with my mother in the past. This is I'm going to admit, this is hard for me to do. Okay, I, I've experienced... Uh, a heavy loss in my life, um, about coming up almost 16 years ago now. I lost my mom. She was 54 years old. We would agree, like you shouldn't die at 54, right? It's too young. Uh, I was about 23 when my mom uh, died. My mom was, you know, one of the closest relationships I had at that time. My mom led me to the Lord. She was a good mom. She had, she had her shortcomings too but I love my mom. And when my mom became ill, I prayed for her every day. I was working a job where I had to commute a pretty long distance and I would pray to God that, that drive every day that the Lord would heal her and restore her health. And, and in his will, that wasn't his will. He called her home. And she's been, her, she's been restored in a different way. Not in the way that I pray, but the Lord has restored her and she's in the presence of Jesus now and I thank him for that. But I'm grieved at that loss. And I admit to you this morning that I went through a period of time where I was angry with God. And I would say to him, you took that from me. my, my My own children don't know my mom. My mom never knew that I became a pastor. I wasn't a pastor at the time. The woman that led me to the Lord, that grieves me. And and I've struggled with anger myself of saying that phrase like, God, you took that from me, my, my mom's opportunity to see this happen and for me to be able to feel that. But that's not the right way to approach it. And so if you've experienced loss, I understand to a certain extent. There's lots of different losses in the room, though. But I, I do empathize and I understand. And we see Jonah grieving over a loss we may think it's kind of ridiculous in light of the, maybe the, the human losses that we have in our own lives because he just lost a plant, right? Let's look at verses 5 to 8. Jonah went out of the city. He sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would come, become of the city. So here's Jonah's posture there. He's sitting up there and he's like, all right, God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? you going to carry out your judgment or not? Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, kind of like these light bulbs right now. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. That's a pretty extreme response, right? A quick comment, like, I want to say, do you see how fickle the human heart and human delight is in Jonah? Right? We see it throughout the whole uh, four chapters, right? He's mad, he's glad, he's mad, he's glad, he's mad, he's glad, over and over and over and over again. Can anybody relate? (laughs) I sure can. And eventually, God, God uses the provision of a plant. He does this. He uses it as an object lesson for Jonah. If you helped in kids' ministry, some of the most effective uh, lessons that you can give kids is something visual, something they can touch and see and feel. God, in his grace, in his love towards Jonah, helping Jonah to understand his heart and his character as a loving and patient and, and forgiving and merciful and gracious God, he gives Jonah this object lesson to see. He wants Jonah to understand a lesson of God's awesome power over creation, his blessing of humanity, and also this, his, his sovereignty and control to withdraw that object of happiness in his due time and providence. It's up to God. And we, we have to remember this, the, the losses that we have that cause so much grief and, and maybe anger, are also great blessings from God when they are present in our lives. I am thinking of my mother. Incredible grief and anger, but one of the greatest blessings of my life. We often often think about our loved ones in that regard. Isn't it, I want to say this to you, isn't it better to have someone to love greatly and to be loved by, to get to experience that love and end up losing it to the frailty of the human body than to have never experienced the joy of that relationship. I'm better for the relationship that I had with my mother. And even though it's caused me grief and pain and anger at her loss, I would never exchange that to have that all just erased. You guys tracking with me? It doesn't mean it hurts any less It's just a change of perspective. Thanking the Lord for the time you had rather than regretting the time that that person is gone. I think Job gives us great insight into this. Here's a man that lost everything. Human relationships, family, friends, money, possessions, everything. And this is his response in Job 1.21 he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord, hear this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. What's his response? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And ultimately, the beauty of our relationship with, with God is that he can relate to you in the loss of his own son, Jesus. We sing sing of God's great love in in the classic hymn and reflect on on the startling statement that God himself has suffered the loss of his one and only son. And you say, well, he was resurrected. God felt that loss though. We see it even in Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus knows what he's gonna do. He knows he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still weeps at the death of Lazarus, doesn't he? It still grieves him because it's not the way it should be. And so God relates to us in our loss. God himself has suffered loss. And and we sing this beautiful hymn, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Paul says, while we were enemies of God, he sent his son. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. Here's the good news. What? Bring many sons to glory. God understands your loss. God is near to the broken hearted and the grieving. Remember that. God understands you. He didn't just create wind it up like a clock, pull himself away, kick back in the recliner and just see how everything unfolds. He understands. He is involved. Number three, we see anger from misunderstanding or incomprehension. We catch this in the phrase, I don't understand. You ever been there before? I don't get it, God. I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing. We get the sense from Jonah and his back and forth with God in verses 9 and 10. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and has perished in a night, right? Jonah doesn't get it. You want to know why? Because he's looking right here not seeing the big picture of what God has in store. And oftentimes our misunderstandings of God's plan, our our incomprehension of God is because I'm staring right here at the floor. I'm not seeing the forest for the trees. Jonah doesn't get the whole picture. In reality, he's, he's upset in this present point in time over everything, right? He's upset over God's patience. He's upset over God's mercy. He's upset that God didn't punish Nineveh the way that he thought it should happen, right? And that's an issue there. That's sinful. Jonah's saying, I know better than you, God. That's why I'm mad. But the reality is, is that that Jonah just lacks comprehension and trust. In the providence, sovereignty, and immutability of God. What does that word mean? The unchangeableness. God never changes. The word says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because here's what happens eventually. We're going to learn this next week. Unfortunately, Nineveh does fall. They turn back to their evil ways. Nahum prophesies of it. In Babylon, another wicked nation is God allows to be raised up, exacts the Lord's appointed anger towards sin. Right? God won't let it go on forever. His patience does run out eventually. When Nineveh falls back into their, their evil, wicked ways. And because Jonah lacks patience on his own part, he cries out with misunderstanding and anger. He doesn't comprehend that the Lord is slow to move according to our timeline, right? God, I want you down here with me. Hurry up. God doesn't work that way. God works on his own timeline. What should we do then to help us when we become angry with God because we don't understand we should seek the wisdom of the Lord. Seek the wisdom of God. Seek a true understanding of the way that God works in the world. Not an answer to our specific question, but understanding the true character and attributes that are our God. To understand the way that He works. True knowledge of His unchanging attributes so that, this is what it helps with, so that in times of uncertainty pain, loss, and anger, we can rest in knowing that God is these things. Hear this. This is what his word teaches, that God is loving, that God is good, that God is patient, that God is kind, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, God is ever-present, and to Jonah's question, God is just. And when we're certain of all these things that God is, it can answer those misunderstandings and incomprehensions we have when we think that God isn't those things. In moments of incomprehension, we want to seek the wisdom of God, not answers to that specific issue. Seek those two, but God, what are you like? And I'm going to apply this to that situation that I'm in. So that I can take hold of the promise of Romans chapter 8, right? That says that God is working together all things for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I can take hold of that promise because I know these things to be true about God. Even though my situation doesn't seem like it's that way. Proverbs 2.6 teaches us this. For the Lord gives wisdom. He doesn't hold it back from you. He's given it to you right here. Seek it. From his mouth. Okay, We believe the scriptures are God-breathed. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's the only way that I could go through some of the things I've gone through in life and still be here preaching on the goodness of God. I know what he's like. We must combat, hear this, okay, we must combat misplaced anger with the truth of God's word. We must ensure that anger does not lead to sin, right? It's a sure way to lead to sin. Here's the thing, not all anger is bad. There's things that we should be angry about. There is good anger. We call that righteous anger. We see Jesus bring about good anger when he walks into the temple and he sees people taking advantage of other people. And what does he do? He patiently braids together a whip and starts going through and casting people out and turning tables over. That's a good, righteous anger. I saw an example of that. I went and watched this really difficult movie to watch on Friday night. I went and and saw the movie Sound of Freedom, which has created all sorts of controversy. I don't understand why. Where you see a man who I believe is righteously anger over children t- being taken advantage of and he goes and he does something about it. That's a good anger. So don't let your, your anger lead you into sin. Make sure if you're angry about something, it's it's the right things and you're handling it the right way. And overall, our, our our last question, our application for this morning is really, it's a, just another question for us to examine ourselves. Do you, do you care about what God cares about? God tells us what he cares about in, in the last verse of this passage. Do you care about what God cares about? Verse 11, and should I? Should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? Notice that, people, human beings. Who do not know their right hand from their left, right? They don't get it. They don't understand God's law. They don't understand God's ways. And also much cattle. This this is the heart of the matter. God cares. He he cares about what he has made. Even Even though the creation is marred with sin, shouldn't we care about what God cares about? God God declares this, this truth after he finishes the work of creation in Genesis 1, 31. It says this, God saw everything that he had made and behold, listen to this, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Do we value everything that God said is very good? What's the first thing? God values his creation. God values his creation. The end of the the Christian story is not for us to escape away. It's that God is bringing the new heavens and new earth. Why? Because he cares about his creation. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. God values his creation. And so right now in this time, what do we do? We must care for and steward the creation. Not worship it. I didn't say that. But care for it. It's God's gift and blessing to us. The, the word of the Lord here values the life of animals. It says, the last part, the, the, Jonah ends with this, and also much cattle. I thought that statement was so odd when I first read through this. Right? Like, who cares about the cows? Such an, like, a book of the Bible ends with that, and also much cattle. But what is, God is declaring that he cares about all things. Like, thank God for cattle, right? Rib eyes. <laughs> Top sirloin, filet mignon. You know what I'm talking about? Steaks. The the truth is, is that he cares about all things. Nothing is frivolous or an afterthought. Even the cattle are important to God. Do we value what God values? And the most important thing to God, the the pinnacle of his creation, here's the heart of the matter, is humanity. God values human life above all things. Do you care about what God cares about? You care about human life. You care about the people sitting in this room. You care about the lost outside of the walls. Do you care about people who are hungry and homeless in our community? Do you care about people halfway around the world that may not know where their next meal is coming from? God values human life above all things so much so that he gives us a number, more than 120,000 people. God knows. Verse 11 again, and should I not pity Nineveh, right? More than a plant, Jonah, chill out. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't, I'll just say it this way, who don't know me. They don't know me. They don't know my ways, do we care about what God cares about? If we care about what God cares about, we must be concerned with human life. Okay? It's more important than your dog. I hate to break it to you. It's more important than your pets. Human beings are the peak, the pinnacle of all creation. So much so that when God created, he said, good, good, good. Then he made his image bearers and he said, oh, this is very good. This is very good. Good. Do we care about what God cares about? We should care about humanity in two specific ways. One is is human plight, right? Those people who are struggling and are in awful conditions, those people who are in our community who are in need, who who need help physically, who need food, who need shelter, this weekend even we're going to reach out to our community through our back-to-school drive. We're going to give kids' supplies. Kids in needs, we're going to give them supplies to be able to go to school. We're going to feed them a meal. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to treat people like human beings. We're going to talk to each other. Why? Because we care about humans. Because God cares about humans. And we, we should desire to meet human needs. That's why we, we open up our building with food and we hand out food to folks who need food. Because we care about people. The second Major way that we care for people is we care about their spiritual renewal. God sent Jonah into Nineveh to declare the truth. That if they don't change, that he was going to bring judgment. He wanted them to be renewed spiritually. He wanted them to know who he was. That is God. He wanted them to know his ways Remember, Jonah is angry at God primarily because of God's grace and mercy towards Nineveh. Verse 2, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. To which Jonah says, "And, and because of that, I'm so mad I could die. But God desire God desires for Jonah. This is why he gives him this lesson of the plan. He desires for his people to be like him. God, North Bullock Christian Church, God desires for you to care about what he cares about. He wants his people to be like him. Eager to eager to help people with, we need to be eager to help people with their felt needs, with their physical needs. It's so important. But even greater than this is the greater spiritual need of those who don't know Jesus. That's our mission. We can we can take part in the mission of God to reconcile the loss. I think 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 captures the heart of God so well. It says this, but do not look this one, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. What's he getting at here? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Man, I feel that, don't you? He's patient toward me, not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. Do you care about what God cares about? Do you care about the needs of people? Do you care about their greater spiritual need? People, I'm just gonna be blunt, people are dying and going to hell because they don't know the truth of what saves them. Do you feel that burden this morning? The Lord has placed us here in, in Shepherdsville or Mount Washington or if you Louisville or wherever you're from to go forth and share the gospel. We have the greatest news ever that forgiveness of sins and a relationship of God is found not through our work, not through pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but through faith in the finished work.